Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals, one of the most watched and viewed podcasts dealing with addiction and recovery. I'm Randall Carlisle. My co-host, Rachel Santizo, could not be here today. But we have a very special guest when we're talking about recovery, Tiff- Tiffany Nacarato, yes, right? Did I get you. that right? <laughs> and she, uh, I, I, it's, it's really funny. We're not good friends, but we run into each other all the time at places dealing with addiction and recovery, right? And I would call you uh, a, a really prominent and, and wonderful ambassador for recovery. Is that fair? See, I mean, that's that'd be like if I said you're beautiful. Do you think you're beautiful? Oh, well, no, but but you really you Thank really you. do a wonderful job, and you're everywhere. And part of that is because of who you are, and the other part is because you work for USARA. What what's your position there? So currently, I am the program manager over the Salt Lake team, um, the long term coaches, and then I'm also the community empowerment coordinator. Okay. So and, I hold two positions. And, and and for people, I'm not sure you're aware, but there are people all over the country and, and really all over the world because we get responses from places like Russia and Ukraine and wow. places like that uh, who are watching this. But, but I maintain, and I guess I'm biased because we're here, but I maintain that Salt Lake City and Utah in general has a huge recovery community. Huge. And active. Blessed. Mm-hmm. With, with activities like what? Not just staying clean, but... Yeah, we have many. So at USERA um, holds a whole bunch of different events throughout the year, such as Recovery Day in September, which is September 9th um, at Jordan Park this year. And then also, like, we have a spring Earth Day event coming up this weekend where we believe that families recover together. And so individuals can bring their families. They can come by themselves and meet other people in the community to bond with. And that's going to look like planting seeds and that we're going to do an egg hunt and all that, a DJ, um, music, just Things to smile no- and have fun. Normal people do. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And and one of the one of the things that that we all promote is the fact, and it's one of the things I had trouble looking at when when I was uh, beginning my journey to recovery. Is can I really have fun without being high? Definitely, it, it is a big. Um switch, right? Because we've learned for so many, well, at least I did for so many years to numb out the fun. And we thought it was fun or I thought it was fun. And because at first um, addictions start being fun and casual and oh, this is a nice change. And then it becomes a part of life. And so you attach that funness to that substance. Yeah. 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 And so then when you get sober, it's like, oh my gosh, you have to relearn how to enjoy things. And it does take time, you know, and there's still, um, I'm six years in, almost six years in, and there are things I'm like, okay, is this going to be enjoyable? And then, you know, you just have, mine is like going, being in crowds at a party or something with, with people who are drinking and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And, and, and it's sort of, it's hard at first. My, my biggest one was, I used to get drunk every time I played golf. So I'd like drink a beer on every hole. And by 18 holes, I was feeling no pain. And when I first got sober, I thought, can I even hit the golf ball if I'm sober? And I was scared that first time out. And and it worked okay. I wasn't any better. I wasn't any worse. So 
yeah. drinking didn't help me, you know. Yeah, and that happens a lot. We have individuals that come in and they're like, oh, I used to fly fish or I used to go bowling or whatever it is. And at USERA, we um, help bring communities, you know, or, um, people in the community to enjoy those hobbies sober and so yeah i had an individual that really wanted fly fishing i'm like i don't know anyone that fly fishes but let's help find some people and he found two people that were in his um you know um in the courtroom with him and that was really empowering for him and so i hope he's out there fly fishing with them if you're out there fly fishing enjoy (laughs) you mentioned that you are in recovery for how long six years almost six years may 30th 2017 So, so let's get into the time that you weren't in recovery, can you, how did your addiction start? What tell us a little of your story? Yeah, um, so growing up, like I was a very good student kid. Um, I obeyed the rules and never got in trouble. Um, I was actually listed like the golden child, right? Really? And yes, and um, very obedient and. I just experiment um, was experimenting a little bit in my teenage years, but my addiction didn't start till later on. I was actually 24, and that's late for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, I heartbreak took me out, and um, I what, always like say a breakup or a... um, just fell failing in my marriage, you know, okay. and um, infidelity and. Okay. Just that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, anyways, that took me out. And I always say heartbreak took me out, but um, love brought me back in. And so it's it's beautiful how the journey has been. And I can connect those things and still see the love back then, you know. And, and, and now I get to look at love differently. Um, so that was an amazing... Um, so how long before heartbreak and love brought you back in? I was out. So I started using at 24. I used for one year straight. And then I ended up getting pregnant with my second child and was able to um, get sober and start rebuilding my life again because I had lost it in that year and um, got back together with my husband. And we created another little child. And um, we had the white picket fence. I was um, on the PTA board. I was at the school. I was helicopter mom taking kids everywhere and just like living this life that I really had dreamed of since a little kid. Um, That was my number one dream. I want to grow up and be a mom with the white picket fence, the white. I had wanted white furniture, wanted my house spotless and be the perfect wife with dinner on the table at 6 p.m. And I had that. So what happened? So um, when my husband and I got back together, that we didn't work on the things that were missing before. um, And the marriage just was um, not succeeding what I the expectations that I had, you know, again, going off that dream of a little kid. I just thought that life was supposed to be perfect. And we all know that life is not perfect. Why don't we teach at a young age that when you grow up, it's not going to be perfect, right? I try to teach my kids that now. I think we hesitate because we don't want to create such a negative image. Say, you know, you may be in love, but it's not always (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) It's not what the Disney movies show. Okay, so you get back with them and then then, you had everything allegedly perfect. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? So I started seeking out um, the fun or just an escape, you know, because I wasn't getting um, what I needed in the home. So I would actually do my mom duties all day. And then I would 
tuck my kids in and read them a book and kiss them goodnight. And then at nine o'clock or 9.30, I would get in my car and go live a different life at night. For a couple of years, I did that. What was a different life? Um, it would be going to people's houses to use substances. And um, and then oh, I started like driving people around to do criminal activity. And if go back, like I never got in trouble, right? And that kind of excited me because I was always obedient. Danger. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and, and I was um, well off to the, compared to the people that I were hanging right. out with, right? I had the nice car. I always had money. I had all this stuff. And um, hey, let's and call so, Tiffany. She's so got I'm money. Getting, now yeah. I'm getting the attention, right? Yeah. Oh, Tiffany can drive. Or we can get away with stuff because Tiffany has the nice car. They won't think that or right. whatever that right. looked like. And so that was excitement. And, um, and your drug of choice back then? At that time, so it started with meth, and then it went to heroin, and then I think at that time it was meth again, yeah, okay. when I was doing the, so yeah, it was, my main drug of use is, was meth, meth. and heroin, uh-huh, I know, well, Because it keeps you skinny, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You little know little vanity here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. Okay, the so, car, the skinniness. Here we go. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I would get back home at 5.30 in the morning. and With no sleep, obviously. No sleep. And I actually would sit in the driveway and wait for my husband to come out and get in his truck. And he would look at me and he would know what I was doing. And he would wave and or be pissed because sometimes I'd be late right. and he'd make him late for work and he'd go to work and then I'd walk in. You're going to be the perfect mom again for mm -hmm, your kids. Mm -hmm. Did they know? That, I'm sure they did. Yeah. And, and my oldest daughter, she's 24 now. She... Yeah, she knew a lot of stuff she was doing. Well, and this can't go on forever. So what happened? Um, mean, you know. So, yeah, it just was getting. I mean, your husband must have been, well, no, it's Tiffany coming in from being out all night again, you know. Yeah. And and he co-signed my behaviors, you know, and he oh, was, okay. he was, um, I take full accountability, but he was part of, part of right. the experience, you he, know what I mean? And so, he enabled you yes, to let it go. Yes. Okay. And, um. And then I, things just started happening at the house. I started bringing people around, right? And now I'm sleeping in and my house is a disaster. Um, DCFS gets called because my little one is out in the front yard without a parent. We lived on a busy street. Like things were just and unraveling. And you were going to be the perfect parent and yes. you weren't anymore. No, wow. no. Um, dinner not on the table. Um, kind of makes me sad. I remember my middle child telling me... Um, when I got sobered, that he was hungry a lot and that he really, had to, yeah, yeah, no. that must have tugged at your really heart, sad. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so things are unraveling, yeah, unraveling. Um, we had somebody that um, um, overdosed at the house in the middle of the night, and my kids got to experience that, and that was traumatic, you know. So, things started, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this anymore. And I remember um, one day I had my um, drug dealer pull up in his little red car. I gave my husband the keys to my car, and um, I had two of my children at the doorstep with me holding onto my legs, and my oldest was in school. And um, I ripped their hands away from my legs and um, told them I'll be back. And I left and I never came back. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Jeez, mm -hmm. that's hard to deal with. So where did you go? Um, went and was unsheltered for six years. I um, went. Would you call it homeless or unsheltered? Um, unsheltered, unsheltered and un unhoused. Like there, I had some money and I would have hotel rooms. Um, okay. That first though, let me just say that first night, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I walked around in Sandy and I actually slept in um, behind a bush at, in 7-Eleven. So I left my white picket fence, all my nice material nice things, house. and then my main loves of my life, my kids, right? And, and you're because sleeping behind a bush at a 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a quick change. Mm -hmm. Just like that. Although you had been leading up to that, if you think about yes, it, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, and um, yeah, just leaving my greatest love to go, <laughs> greatest loves, my kids to go sleep behind a bush is pretty big. The addiction had me, it had me and I was so ashamed and I could not comprehend, like, just ask for help. Just get, you know, I, I was lost. And, and, and you were what this, this part in the story is not over, obviously, but this part of the story for people who are watching or listening and wonder about the power of addiction, uh, here's here's a woman who for forever just wanted to be the perfect mom and she had everything correct. Then she then she becomes addicted and it gets to the point that that the loves of your life, your kids, you 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 you, you sort of throw them away in, because the drugs are more important than the kids. Mm -hmm. And people who are not dealing with addiction can't understand. Yeah. You know, I know my family, like, they're like, you're what awful. Are you? Yeah, you you're know. a bad person, yes, right? Yes. And, and it wasn't that I was bad. It wasn't. It I was, was very, the, very sick. The disease of addiction. Mm -hmm. So I so just wanted sick. to stop and point that out no, because it so just true. sounds like, how could you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, you can do it because you're dealing with addiction. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so you said for six years you were like that. Six years. What happened during those six um, years? A lot of trauma happened out on those streets. Um, you know, I seen a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happened to me. Um, a lot of abuse happened to me, and um, I started racking up charges because now I'm in survival mode and and. Um, I gave no cares, right? I was just going to do whatever I needed to do to support my habit and and numb from the missing kids. I was going to say the whole time, it just because you're in addiction doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it does supersede all those feelings that you have deep down inside. And so for somebody like you, who probably felt horrible guilt the whole time horrible. you were out there, Doing the drug numbs your mind, slows everything down, and it it sort of eases the guilt you're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And every time there was silence in my world being out there, I would hear kids crying. Oof. Like it was prison in my life, the, or my head the whole time I was out there. So then I had to be busy. I had to be talking all the time. I would even talk to myself all the time. And like I would hear every time I try to sleep, it was kids screaming in my head over and over again for six years. It happened the first night behind that bush. And then year after year after year, I would just hear. And I wouldn't identify them as my kids, but it was kids just screaming. And I was like, wow. oh, my gosh, get me out. It was hell. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and so you were you were committing crimes. You were assaulted. Mm -hmm. You were dealing with all this guilt. 
Uh, yep. And voices in your head. I mean, if you were to come to a treatment center, they'd say, well, I think you need to go to mental health first, mm-hmm. and, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and then I get pregnant again. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, such a beautiful, beautiful little boy, though, that I do have. Um, okay, I'm not saying he's yeah, a mistake, yeah. but it wasn't the Unre- ideal it, it time to get. It was irresponsible, I'll say okay, that. But, that's but fair. my whole life was irresponsible Part of being it. Yeah. Yeah. so um so you're pregnant out on the street pregnant on the street using so I, yep using at that time um meth and um still unhoused and the person i got pregnant by he um we wanted to keep it secret and not tell anybody you only can for a certain amount yeah of time. And i actually did i can't tell exactly how long but it was around seven months six and a half months I kept it. Well, you're slim and you wouldn't, if you wore loose clothes, you wouldn't. Yep. I wore big sweatshirts in the middle. Okay. <laughs> right. When it was yeah. so hot. Yeah. And um, we wanted to keep it because um, secret because one, so we could keep using, right? Okay. Because the, the addiction again is so up there. And then. In so front, the guy who got you pregnant was also using. Yes. Okay. Yes. So go ahead. He actually it was the man that pulled up to pick me up from the kids ah. when I left the kids. Okay. So, um, and then we, um, we wanted, because my I didn't want my kids to know, right? He also had children in his home that we didn't want another dcfs case because that would happen sure um no insurance i had no insurance i didn't know where to get care at all the resources resources i know uh, that are available now i didn't know one of those so so you had no 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 medical care during your pregnancy no no medical care um i would go to the hospital um a few times during that pregnancy and for like an abscess or um, or like I had preeclampsia, right? And then they knew, but the abscess, they didn't know I was pregnant. Like, sure, no one asked me, you know, um, there's a gap there. Or there was a gap there. I should say in my um, story that medical care um, didn't intervene because I. So, so you're. You don't want your kids to know. He doesn't want his kids to know. Where where are you staying? Oh, yes. We are staying in the basement of his parents' house. And his parents don't know And either. his parents do not. Sweetest, sweetest, sweetest couple ever. And, um, and so lovely and kind. And they really did adore me and they treated me so kind. But they wouldn't have approved of me staying, living there. And so actually he was living there. I was living there in secret again. So here I am hiding my pregnancy and then hiding um, where I'm living. And that How looked, do you do that? He would have me hide underneath his bed for all day while he was at work. So he did work. And, um, and I would hide underneath. He, the bed was tall with the blankets down. It had down. to be. And I, I mean, even just, though you're small, but you're pregnant, it's, you know. Well, I would have, it wasn't tall enough for me to like even sit up. I'd have to lay down the whole time. Mm-hmm. All day long. All day long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What did you do or think while you were going through that? I, I, that I think was, that'd be hard for anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> stay under a bed all day. Yeah. And I'm getting a little much because this is the first time I've shared this um, on a public platform. You know, it's. 
it was very, very hard. I would write letters to my kids. I would um, sketch things on the the top of the or bottom of the bed. Um, I would self harm. I what, like would, cutting or what? Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, or burn. Um, I prayed a lot the whole time I was out on the streets. My um, connection to God, you know, I, I kept that um, as best as I could. I prayed the whole time, so I would pray, and and sometimes I'd just get some sleep, you know. But I would seriously just sit there. I'd also get high underneath there, you know, and which could, was could very. Could you go hard. to the bathroom? I hate to get personal. But... <laughs> Not in a toilet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he'd come home, right? And I would be able to leave um, or go outside or whatever. And I was a smoker too. That was so hard. Oh my God. That was so hard. Yeah. Um, and then I would be able to like get up and he'd be like, yeah, Tiffany. I'd go through the front door and he'd be like, Tiffany's here. <laughs> and I'd have to act like I just got there. Hi, nice to Hi. see you again. Is it time for dinner? <laughs> you know, and wow, and yeah, it was. I was used to living a double life. I'm that's, so glad today I don't have to. That's heavy trauma. So, so you had you had your child healthy. Healthy. Um, I mean, he was no born, thanks to you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born with complications. I mean, he was in the ICU for almost two months, I believe. Um, and this is like. So beautiful. So I um, got to choose who adopted my baby. And I met her at this um, school function that wasn't my kid's school function, but it was something else, you know, and somebody else's. And I met her and she um, captured my heart and she still does today. Um, Beautiful woman. And she adopted my little boy. And when I was so I was going to actually end my life when I um, left the hospital that day without my little boy. And um, because of what I had done, right, to another human being, because now it's in my face. Right. He's in ICU. Like, talk about, oh, just felt so bad. And then the grief of not having my other three children. It was so much, Randall. I that, that, That's too much for somebody to handle. It was so much. And... Um, and I could not even think about a life without doing that to another human being and then what I, you know, leaving my kids. And so I got a hotel room. I was in there ready to end my life. And I ended up calling to check on the baby to um, the mother that um, was um, going to adopt him. And she was like, what are you doing? Can I come get you? And we can go see the baby together and we can start feeding, feeding him you know, um, why he's an ICU. Cause you're only allowed two wristbands. So only two people. She's okay. like, I'll keep one and you can have a wristband telling you that wristband saved my life. And well, her, you know, was her. And I wore that wristband for, um, the whole duration that he was in the hospital and she would come get me and she would find me at trap houses. She'd pick me up off the street with all my belongings, put them in her car. So we'd drive to the hospital and we'd have these meaningful conversations. And she just showed me straight unconditional love. That is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. She is a wonderful person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and she we um, bonded over that, and that's what kept me alive. Because then I got to see that um, I was still important. 
And then after I still used after, you know, years, a couple years after um, he was born and she would let me come to all of it. She would invite me to holidays, birthday parties. I got to show up for every birthday party. And then fast forward to today, I just moved into a new house. And with a white picket fence and yes, white it, furniture. Yes, it really, it does have white furniture, but it has a white picket fence. <laughs> okay. So I was like, yes, I did it. So you're and back. Yes, and but I ha- have two of my children with me that live with me. The ones that you left? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and how did you get to that point, though? I mean, okay, we just left you. You're still visiting the child that you had, but you're still using. How did you get sober? Yeah, Um. Well, and the reason why I brought up the house is because I'm having a birthday party for my little boy that I placed for adoption oh. in May at okay. my house, right? And so that's why I brought that well, up. Isn't that cool? Complete circle. Yeah. 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 So I'm so excited for that. Um, But yeah, I ended up getting sick and tired of sick and tired. I was running from the law. I missed my kids so much. I had run out of my inheritance money because my mom um, did pass while I was out there using and I did get a big clump sum of money and had you ran through. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It also kept me I try to always look at the um positive side of that. It kept me safe from doing other harmful things. Okay. And and um but yeah so ran through that and just totaled another car and um had no phone now. Like I was at the butt, you know, had no shoes. I remember I went to go steal shoes from a um, savers actually. And so you're basically at rock, even after all that stuff, you finally hit rock bottom. Uh, you have nothing. And I wouldn't die. Like I kept trying to die. You know what I mean? Like not. Damn, I can't die. Yeah. Like, (laughs) okay, this is not going to have me overdose, you know, or whatever. And, and so I, yeah, I reached out, I wrote, I was praying again and um, got a message to write a letter to my family and ask for help. Um, And I was really ready. And I wrote that letter um, over and over again. And I still have that letter today in my bedroom. And I gave it to my family and they gave me another chance. They picked me up one day and they said, well, today's, I didn't know that that day was going to be the day, but they're like, if you want help, today's the day. And I'm like, wait, I just bought all these drugs and left them in the bush over there. Right. I, you know let, what I mean? Let, or, me, let me use one more time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were like, nope. And they just supported me and put me back like in everyday life. I remember like third day in and I'm detoxing hard off heroin. And, well, home? fentanyl and fentanyl. Yeah, at home. Without any drugs? Without anything. Wow. And the third day in, they're like, can you do, they asked me to do something in the yard or whatever. And I was like, And I did it because going back to when I was younger, right? I was very obedient and I was so eager to get back into that. Um, Not that I follow the rules now and and so obedient, but I do have that in my soul. And so I wanted to make, um, I wanted just to show them that I was serious. And so, yeah, I ended up doing this chore sick as sick. And then 
Um, I so, just so you got it out there, and then did you go to treatment? Nope, I did not go to treatment. Wow! But I did have all these charges, and I went and um, advocated for me to do felony drug court, mm-hmm. which um, I had been offered many times throughout the years of my use, and I declined, declined, declined. So they weren't going to accept me. But I was like, please, I begged, you know, for another chance, and they trusted me, and they gave it me that chance, and I successfully. Um, completed that program. And it was such a great experience. It was what I needed that, um, discipline and that accountability. And, but yeah, I didn't go to treatment, um, did some classes over at CJS, but yeah, but I got involved with you, Sarah, right away. I walked in there and a coach, you know, um, offered to meet with me and I met with her and I gradually started seeing my life change. Um, my recovery capital just started growing, you know, because I walked in with nothing. Like I literally was still driving illegally and had, you know. She's really, not anymore if you're out no, there watching. No. <laughs> That's an incredible story. And and you seem, uh, can you say you're truly happy now? Truly, truly happy. I mean, I still have, you know, we're humans. We have all emotions. Oh, sure. And Ups so and I downs. Just, yeah. So I get to embrace all um, feelings and get to lean into them and not run from them today. Um, but I am truly happy. And I'm happy um, differently than I when I was happy in my younger days or even before my addiction. I am actually um, have learned to figure out who I am instead of constantly trying to make other people happy. Right. Right. Um, I get to use my voice and stand up for what I truly believe, you know, and get to get to do stuff like this. And Mm -hmm. the thing that's so cool about this is your story is horribly inspirational, you know, and think of how many people you're affecting now. That's why I talk out loud. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. why I wanted to share about the um, using out on the street because I know there's a lot of other women out there going through that. And And it's hell out there as a woman on the street. I mean, it is as a man, too, but women are assaulted all the time and taken advantage. It's just a it's horrible. It's very scary. Very, very scary. Like I said, um, those six years out there was where all my trauma happened, you know, and and um, things that I never knew existed, right. like in this world, you know, and in Salt Lake City, you know? So. know. Yeah. If you're watching somewhere else and you think of Salt Lake as being this pristine, uh, crime-free, wonderful place, it, we have all the same problems every other city has. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm glad you survived. Me too. You're, I'm so happy. I, every day when I turn off my alarm, I say, thank you, Lord, for having me wake up and survive another day. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be alive today. And I always thought throughout my whole life, even when I was younger, I can't do life. I don't know how to do life. Like that was in my head. Now in my head is, yes, I can do this. You're an amazing woman. I I appreciate you coming on this podcast. And I, I can't think of anybody who's more inspirational than we've ever had on. So Thank you very much. You, it's like you're getting ready to <laughs> yeah, cry yeah, or something. I, did I say something wrong? <laughs> well, you keep making me blush and you keep affirming me, and I appreciate that. Well, um, the I, praise you are is amazing, very appreciated. You know, and, and, and the thing people don't realize, it, it's hard to come on and tell a story like this. Uh, and we sort of get used to it because part of recovery is telling our story, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, I sometimes people will say, God, you, 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 you have all these people revealing all this secret stuff. And the point is not to keep it a secret anymore. Share it. 
you know, and give others hope. Yeah, th that's exactly why. I mean, I'm not proud, right, of yeah, what I'm what really I did. Proud that I hung and this out is this very hard. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm talking about it to show other people that they can um there's hope for them and, you know, it's not it's you're not too lost. Like you can recover from those right. things that has happened and were happening to you. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on. Uh, you've given a lot of people hope. I hope if you are watching or listening, you might share this uh, because this is uh, it's one of the more emotional uh, podcasts we've done. And and you give so much hope that you can return to a white picket fence at some yes, point, right? Yes, that I, <laughs> yeah. that I got, I, you know? I can be bad a single for a mom. I'm yeah. proud. <laughs> Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals. <laughs>